Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. Um, my name is Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, um, and I'm the acquisition specialist here um, working with our team. Yes, welcome back, everybody, uh, to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. I'm Melinda Jennison, Director um, and Buyers Agent here at Streamline Property Buyers. And I'm absolutely excited to be sharing this episode with you all uh, because, as you know, I am a little bit of a data nerd and uh, my background is in research. So what we're going to unpack today is why you cannot rely purely on data. And we're going to actually discuss some of the Brisbane data that's been coming out over recent months um, and how the media have been using certain data sets to tell the story that's the most sensational story. Uh, so I hope you enjoy this episode. We've got lots to get through today. Yeah, it's interesting when you when you see these headlines um, that come out into the media um, and, and they, they do make the headlines, obviously, because um, that's what people like to read and, and to watch. Um, and a lot of the information that they do talk about is is solely data information. Now, I know Melinda, as as we say, is the data nerd here, um, and I don't probably get into that side of it quite as much. Obviously, I hear it and take the notes, um, but pulling that data apart is obviously something that Melinda's done from a research background, um, and, and to actually understand that and what it actually does compared to what we do and what we actually see on the ground. Yes, we use the data, um, there's no there's no lying there. We use it, we use that information, but we also understand it and we know how to pull it apart as well. So today, I guess we're, we're talking a little bit on um, relying on data solely um, as opposed to a combination of the data, the local knowledge um, and the experience and those types of things. Yes, so the big thing is understanding um, is the data set that you're relying on reliable and is it accurate? Um, and we're just going to give a couple of examples up front. Now, um, at the time of recording, there's been a couple of very big headlines in Brisbane um, in the lead up to the end of January. Uh, one of the big data companies, which is CoreLogic, um, put out a press release. That release um, hit the media outlets on the 28th of January. And the media release stated that Brisbane has had the fastest rate of decline in property values on record. Now, that is the sort of headline that gets people's attention. That's the sort of headline that can shift consumer sentiment and it can really cause buyers to um, be wary and, and hold back on big purchasing decisions. Um, when we actually look at the data from CoreLogic, um, they're actually stating that the decline from the recent peak in dwelling values has been 10.7%. Now, you'll recall we hit a peak in property dwelling values back in June 2022, just last year. So since then, the median data trend, according to CoreLogic, for dwellings across all of Greater Brisbane has declined negative 10.7%. If we quantify that, if you owned a property that was worth $1 million in June 2022, a decline of 10.7% means that property today would currently be worth $107,000 less. And that is something to be very concerned about. As I said, that press release came out on the 28th of January and the information was spread through various media sources, including newspapers, um, 
news commentary on Channel 9, Channel 7, it went viral. Now, two days later, a different data company, that is PropTrack, which relies on data from realestate.com, they released their end-of-month data for Brisbane. Now, these two data houses, that is CoreLogic and PropTrack, provide monthly updates in terms of house price movements and unit price movements. They combine that data to um, create dwelling price movements. And every month, these data houses produce slightly different results. So despite the fact that there was a big headline in Brisbane, which was off the back of the CoreLogic data that was released, a couple of days later, very quietly, PropTrack released their data and that showed from the change of peak, the same time period from June 2022 through to the end of January, Brisbane dwelling values declined 3.76%. And that's very different to what CoreLogic have published, which is 10.7% declines. And if we're to quantify the amount according to the prop track data, that's $37,600 less than that $1 million value if that was the value at June 30. So you can see that these different data houses um, produce different results and yet they're trying to measure the same thing and that is a change in dwelling values. And I guess we need to understand as a consumer just how important it is to realise that these, these data houses are actually trying to draw the attention of media and get attention because they're running businesses themselves. So the timing of when they're putting out this information will influence the media messaging that goes out to the general consumer. So it's so important to be aware of how they work um, in that space. Yeah, so as you mentioned just then, and I just want to, whilst you're on that um, that point, the, the numbers, can you just confirm that again? Just so we can reiterate to the listeners about the numbers. So the difference between CoreLogic and PropTrack, what were the numbers on that again? 37,000 to 100 and... 37,600 declined from its from Brisbane's peak, according to PropTrack, um, and $107,000 declined from its peak. And that's, that's based on um, a property value of $1 million at yep. peak. So a decline of 37,600 according to PropTrack here in Brisbane, but according to CoreLogic, that decline is 107,000. That's that's a massive difference. Huge. When you look at compare, if people just rely on one source of data, you could be from $100,000 to $30-something thousand dollars. That's a massive, massive difference. So as a non-data nerd, I guess, as you, as you would call me, what... How do they rely on it? How, how do they get the information that is so different that it's it's like chalk and cheese? It's completely different. So how do they actually get that and why is it so different? Look, each data house um, relies on information being reported to them from um, the titles office here in Queensland and certainly um, in every state. Now, it's the way they actually um, use that data through through uh, data manipulation, I guess you can say, because they try to account for changes in the composition of property by using um, a hedonic home value index. But the, the way they change that data is unknown to the consumer because those regression equations are not actually disclosed. What I will say is that all of the data is based on median value changes. So when we look at a median value, um, that is the middle score. So 
It's different to the average or the mean. Remember, to create a median, you would rank every single property sale from the lowest value sale through to the highest value sale, and you pick the middle score. It is the middle number. So what it tries to eliminate is any outliers that shift a mean either up or down in, in either direction. In relation to property, some very high value property sales can shift a mean or an average, but they don't have as much impact on the median value. That said, a median is always representative of what is selling. So for example, in a given month, if you see a higher volume of um, more expensive properties selling, then that median value could shift upward. It doesn't mean that all property values in that particular location have shifted upward. And the same is true if you're seeing a, a higher volume of lower value properties transacting, that can shift a median downwards um, without indicating that every property in a market has actually shifted downwards in value. So if, if you're in a suburb, say you're in an in a area that is gentrifying, and it is probably a really good area to get into. And there's a lot of properties that are starting to sell that are possibly the renovators. And, and we've talked about this in, in past podcasts, different markets, different movement in different markets. What's the flavour? Um, I think in our last couple of podcasts, probably quite a few now, and we've talked about how um, renovators, for example, haven't been the popular thing of late, obviously because of construction and building costs, getting a builder, things like that. If That's going to have a big influence. On, on that area because the median price and, and those properties are then going to be down in value because they are the properties that are going to be renovated. When when they're renovated, that area is going to be worth a lot of money because you've got all the nice houses that are all renovated and it's a lot more of a popular area. So that sort of thing, unless you have that local knowledge, that's also going to have a big play, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think that um, that's what we call compositional bias in data. Um, what that data is made up of can actually influence um, the result. And it's how we interpret the data and how we interpret the result of a median value change that becomes most relevant. So again, relying on that big data without understanding what's making up those transactions can be a big flaw for property um, buyers because you cannot assume that every type of property um, is moving at the same pace in a certain direction as a median value. The other thing that I'll say is that the smaller the data set is, the less reliable that median value becomes. So if you're tracking median values month to month at a suburb level and you're buying in a suburb where there might only be five or six transactions in a month, you can already see that that information could be um, very flawed because the volume of transactions is not representative of the entire market in a particular location. And that's certainly where we see fluctuations in median values occurring at a suburb level, um, you know, month to month, because what's actually selling can be very different um, on a month to month basis. So I think any property data that's relying on a median really needs to be treated with caution because it's really important that we understand what is making up that median, um, especially as the data set or the volume of transactions that um, go into the ranking to create that median. As that data set decreases, we need to become more cautious about relying on that information. And I think the point you had a little while ago on the, um, you know, they are businesses. You know, we're talking about core logic and prop track and domain, all those sort of things. 
if they can get media releases and they get out in the media, it's good for their business. Of course. So if they can dramatise some headlines and, you know, we've seen it recently with, you know, Harry writing his book. I mean, and Megan, they, they wrote they wrote these, they did these things with Oprah and they did these to write a book, but it's, it's all to get that media exposure. And, and these companies are the same thing. They're a business. They're running a business. They need to make money. So the more exposure they can get with dramatic headlines, um, you know, we see them doing predictions on things. I mean, how can you predict what property is going to do that far out? We saw that in COVID. The big banks did that prediction and, um, yeah, that didn't quite work out. But um, we see those things. And as Melinda said, it is a business and they're trying to get media attention, which is exactly what they're, what they're doing on, on these as well. And I think the big point for listeners to take away is that um, every type of property is different. So when you're looking at a median data trend, you've got to understand that unless you're buying in a brand new estate where every property has been built um, almost identical and every block of land is almost identical, um, then a median in those sorts of locations might actually be more reliable. However, relying on median trends in areas where you've got properties selling um, on large blocks of land, right next to properties on very small blocks of land. Um, you've got very high-end homes that might be elevated with city views, selling alongside properties that are in flood-impacted locations um, and potentially damaged off the back of the flood event still 12 months ago. Mm. You've got renovated properties selling um, alongside unrenovated properties. There is so much compositional change in what a home or a property can look like. So it's so important to take meaning out of the data to understand what is actually selling and not relying purely on the numbers. And of course, the only way to understand what is actually selling is to be out on the ground in those markets, understanding what has been listed, what is going to contract, what is actually being taken from the market because there's no um, meeting point between what the buyers are willing to pay and what the sellers are willing to let it go for. That sort of information is what we call that qualitative data. And that's what you get by being out on the ground, um, seeing in real time market movements. It's the volume of buyers turning up to open homes, the number of people watching auctions, the number of people registering for those auctions, even the number of people that are physically bidding at auctions, those that sort of information is harder to collect quantitatively. You need to be on the ground to see that um, on a week-to-week basis. And, of course, that is the benefit of partnering with um, locally-based buyers agents who, who do this for a living. Yeah, and, and it's, it's spot on. I mean, as an example from exactly what you've just talked about, um, in a north area last year, for example, you know, there's... There's a property that can sell for $3 million and literally a stone's throw away, there's a property that sells in the high 800s. And I know that I'm talking, these are actual properties that we've been to, we've seen them sell, we've been to the auctions and things like that. One's sitting high and dry, the other one was flood affected, but the data's not going to reflect that. Okay, so you've got a property, that's a difference of over, you know, there's, as I say, $3 million house compared to an $800,000 house same suburb, same little pocket, literally two streets away from each other, and yet a massive, massive difference in price 
but the data won't show that. Absolutely not. And I think that's um, just one of the takeaways that we're wanting people to um, to consider after listening to this episode. Um, data is great, but you really must understand the motivation behind um, some of the press releases that are based on this data, but also understand that data is only as good as what it is made up of. And um, of course, that there can be some reliability and accuracy issues, especially around median values. But I think there's a lot of other data that we can talk about, and I'd like to sort of get to that as well. Yeah, so I wanted to jump on to, which is always an interesting one, um, Brisbane probably historically has not been a big auction city. Um, I think it has changed, um, and it has become a little bit more popular over the, probably the last couple of years. Um, but auction clearance rates, it's always a funny one when people jump on the headline and you're sitting around and have a barbecue on a Sunday and they say, oh, auction clearance rates clearance rates were so low. If you look at some of the information that we've gathered here, um, last weekend, for example, domain, um, auction clearance rates at 46%. Mm. Now, that's fairly low. Um, I think the average from a podcast we did quite a while ago with Justin Nickerson from Apollo was, I think he said around a 50%-ish, that, that sort of mark. So, you know, 46%, and yet Apollo, who um, have auctioneers at, go around Brisbane and local southeast Queensland and, and do auctions for all the real estate agents, they've registered 82.6%. As a clearance rate. As a clearance rate. Very different. And then we can look at CoreLogic for the same weekend and CoreLogic information for Brisbane um, shows a clearance rate of 51.9%. So these are this is three different data sources, Domain, CoreLogic and Apollo Auctions, um, and they're all reporting something Different And yet on the ground, we can be out and we certainly don't get to um, see every auction throughout Brisbane. Um, but from the auctions that we attend, we get a feel for the market sentiment and um, whether buyers are, are willing to transact the number of registered bidders, etc. And it helps us understand a cross section of the market. We certainly have been seeing more buyer activity in Brisbane. So when we look at some of the uh, domain results that come through, which is so low, it's a surprise to us, especially when um, other data houses and other, um, you know, smaller businesses that provide more granular information, such as Apollo Auctions, show such high clearance rates. So again, I think it's, um, it's evidence of the fact that you cannot rely purely on the data because the data is only as good as what is actually reported. And I know with domain, for example, they are relying on agents reporting mm -hmm. whether that property sells, if so, for what price, whether that property passes in. Um, and knowing that a lot of the auction results are not reported, they simply don't become part of the data um, which can then skew that data and potentially mislead the consumer. Yeah, I think if someone said to you um, quietly that it was 46% clearance rates and then somebody else said 82. You'd it, say there's something wrong. Yeah, something, there's, there's definitely something wrong. But if someone said 82 to you and you go, oh, wow, thinking of selling my house, I might put it up for auction because those clearance rates are huge. Um, you know, just as an example of what we talk about being local on the ground, um, it was actually two weekends ago, so not last weekend, the weekend before, um, talking to a, a local agent, and they had quite a big weekend where they had auctions Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Their auction clearance rate, they had 23 properties and they sold 17 under the hammer. Mm. So it's just getting that information 
talking to agents, being at auctions, getting an understanding of what's actually happening. And this is what we talk about, being on the ground and seeing what's actually happening, as opposed to getting conflicting from 46% to 82.6% clearance rates. It's a lot of difference. And it's it's actually confusing for the consumer to, to actually look at that and rely on that data, I think, as well. And even just one of my um, agent connections, shout out to Alex um, from Place, 66.6% um, was the Place Auctions clearance rate um, in-house for all Place Auctions um, in the last weekend as well. So, you know, you can see how different um, those results are across the board. And um, I think it's evidence of the fact that we really need to be cautious relying solely on the data and what it is reporting. Um, and we need some eyes and ears on the ground to really sum up what we're seeing, um, especially if you are a buyer in a certain pocket of Brisbane, you need to be out on Saturdays looking at the number of auctions, um, understanding how many people are registered to bid at those auctions and actually seeing if they sell or not um, by being on the ground, go to the auctions in the lead up to um, your, re as part of your research, sorry, to, to purchase so that you can become really confident and familiar with what is happening in your specific patch um, based on, on where you're wanting to buy. And, and that obviously doesn't pick up then when they get the auction clearance rate and a property then goes in negotiation and sells probably 24 hours after. Um, you probably don't get that as a as a sale. It's it's classed actually as passed in. So it, there's a lot of information there. There's a lot of conflicting information. Um, and I, as you said, don't rely solely on it. The, the other one I wanted to probably touch on whilst we're on that um, the sales side of it is days on market mm. because again it, it relies on the agents giving that information and it also relies on different campaigns. I mean, for example. And you can touch more on this, Melinda, but, you know, if if a market is moving fast and a property is listed, and we've seen this of late as well, um, especially last year, but we're actually seeing it a bit again this year now where properties are being listed and they're selling probably within a week. But then you've got a property that's an auction campaign. Now, isn't that going to skew if the data? Yeah, it can skew the data, absolutely. And the other thing to um, to drill down on in relation to how each data house is collecting this data, days on market should be a reflection of how quickly a property becomes um, or, or is taken off the market. Um, and in Brisbane, a lot of contracts are entered into as conditional contracts. So, you know, what is not disclosed as part of that data um, is the fact that days on market might not be an indication of the time from when a property is first listed through, through to when a contract is entered into, but rather the days on market value reflects when that contract becomes unconditional. So a conditional period in a contract can actually skew the true days on market indicator. And I, I know we talked about this in the bull market off the back of COVID, that the days on market values were not reflective of what we were seeing on the ground because at that time we were seeing days on market less than three or four days in most instances. Sometimes we could record um, hours on market rather than days on market. And yet the overall um, trend for days on market was still 14 or 15 days, which was indicative of the fact that a lot of buyers still had a conditional period. So I think, again, consumers need to be aware that some of these indicators that a lot of people rely on to help them make property decisions may not be 
reflective of what's truly happening on the ground. And you really need to immerse yourself in the locations that you're looking to buy to get a much better understanding at a local level as to what's really happening and how fast that market might be moving. Because when you are in a market where there's more buyers than sellers, typically you see the days on market decline simply because of lack of supply um, whilst there's strong demand. That said, um, what we have found through the latter months of 2022 and certainly um, already in, in the first month of 2023 is that buyers are becoming more picky and choosy about where they will spend their money and it's the quality properties that are seeing reduced time on market. So the days on market for quality properties is declining but consumers are no longer interested in properties um, or the demand for properties that have impacts like main roads or you know, significant noise overlays, those sorts of properties can sit on the market a lot longer. So again, understanding what is actually sitting longer on the market and what is selling quickly becomes absolutely important rather than relying on a general trend across a market. Yeah, I think it's a big, it's a big one, that one where you talk about how how it is actually registered, whether it's unconditional, whether it, whether it settles, all those things um, really come into play. And, and for those listeners that when Melinda touched on about those conditional offers um so the listeners that aren't local um, especially interstate ones a little bit different here in queensland um so having understanding what that means um obviously that's something we can help people with um at streamline when they when they work with us but understanding that type of the contract um is a little bit different from different states as well so um i guess the other one which um you know we've, we've talked about vacancy rates here in um in brisbane for quite a while now and how how low they are and how tight it is what sort of an impact does it have then on on the vacancy rates is it is it just that whatever is vacant is recorded how is it does the data is it is anything true on that side of things look what we understand about the the vacancy rate data is that um it is recorded based on the number of properties currently advertised for rent on major real estate portals. So um, what it doesn't confirm is whether the properties are vacant at the time they are advertised. Now, quite often we do see a spike in vacancy rates over the Christmas and New Year period, December and January. Typically there's a seasonal increase in the vacancy rate. Now, is that always a reflection of the fact that there's more properties sitting um, available for rent that are vacant? Or is that more a reflection of the fact that there's more properties advertised for rent, but they still have a tenant in place um, and they're just looking to secure a new tenant before the existing tenant moves out? Now, I know just from our own experience, just in the last couple of months, um, because the Brisbane market is so tight, our property manager advised us personally to advertise our property for rent in December, despite the fact that the property was not going to be available until the latter months of January. Now, that was an effective strategy for us because we managed to secure a tenant um, a number of weeks before our previous tenant vacated the property. And that minimised the time in which the property was truly vacant. Yet in terms of the vacancy rate data that was recorded, it was the time when the property was advertised for rent, it would have been recorded as a vacant property and it would have become part of that vacancy rate data. So again, understanding the market by immersing yourself in the property management space and talking to property managers about the fact 
that are these properties vacant, vacant or are they not, that helps you understand any seasonal trends where you might see a spike in those vacancy rates in a certain location. So don't rely on the data on vacancy rates here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't rely solid, on the solid. data. Okay. It's overlaying the information that we're extracting from the data with what we know happens in a market um, as a seasonal adjustment and, and also just knowing what makes up that data and how it is actually captured because it that determines how much we can actually rely on it and how much we need to overlay with our additional knowledge based on on-the-ground experience. So for all those data people out there, I'm not bagging data, okay? I'm just saying, as Melinda has said, don't rely on it solely, okay? You need to, yes, it's okay to look at it and you do your homework on it and you do your research like some people do, um, but you also need to have that local knowledge as well um, to rely on things. So um, rental yields, obviously then the vacancy rates, we talked about that advertised for rent, that that sort of gap of when they're advertised, when they're actually rented out, it's, it's classed as um, vacant property, even though it might be a little bit skewed. What about the rental yield side of it? Does, does it have a, an impact on that? Look, I think data as a whole, um, when we're looking at rental yields, we're relying on a median value for a particular location and we're rel relying also on a median rent that is achieved for a particular location. So we've already talked about um, some of the, the um, I guess, drawbacks associated with uh, relying on a median. So when you've got a median for property price value and a median for rental price value and both of those numbers are being used to capture a, um, a gross uh, rental yield for a particular um, location, of course, you need to err on the side of caution. I know when we're speaking to property investors, um, they often ask, well, what can we expect as a rental yield um, in Brisbane? Now, obviously, that answer depends. It depends a lot on where you're looking to buy, but more importantly, also what you're looking to buy. Um, when you spend more on the land, your rental yield is likely to be lower. When you spend more on the property, your rental yield is likely to be higher. So it's very property specific and location specific when it comes to determining what a typical rental yield might be, because it's not going to be the same for all properties in a given location. So um, again, just err on the side of caution if you're seeing any median uh, rental yields being advertised for a city, for a suburb, um, for a housing market or a unit market, because they're a guide only. And every property will have a unique rental yield and it will be based on the price that you have to pay to acquire that property and the actual rent that you can be expected to achieve for that specific property. And that's going to depend on supply and demand at a local level. So again, relying on rental yields, they're made up of two median values. Um, so you do need to be careful when you're relying on citywide or suburb-wide rental yields. Um, take it down to a property-specific measure and you'll be much more accurate. So as a bit of a conclusion, I know that we've, we've sort of pulled some data apart there, but and as, as I've said several times, like have that combination of it. We do do a lot of in-house data here at Streamline Property Buyers where we're getting all that information, we're gathering it, we're actually doing all of our work behind the scenes, but we're combining it with being out and, out and about. Um, now, you see headlines in the media saying that, again, predictions that property markets are going to drop and crash and do everything else. And yet we get it out and about in a weekend and we're seeing 40, 50 groups through properties. The demand is is massive um, in certain areas, that is, you know, selected areas where we go to. 
you can you can see such a change. Um, you know, that combination has to be something you have to think about, isn't it? Absolutely. And I always say, and I know I talk about this a lot on our podcast, that data is always looking in the rearview mirror. When you're looking at data, you're looking at what has happened in the past. Remember, especially when it comes to sales values, um, that's that those data points or, or those numbers are recorded at the point of settlement. So typically in Brisbane, we see settlements at least 30 days. So the data is at least one month behind what we're physically seeing on the ground. So data that's reported at the end of January, typically they're for settlements that are occurring throughout January, which means those contracts were entered into December or earlier. Mm-hmm. So we've always got to remember data is retrospective. It's looking in the rear view mirror and being out on the ground is the way you'll get um, an absolute or, or the, the most accurate um, determination of what's happening in a market and, and what direction the market might move in the months ahead. Excellent. Well, I think we've we've given um, a few tips there, uh, hopefully helped everyone out and a little bit more information. Um, I will, as usual, I will let Melinda wrap it up and say goodbye to all, everyone. And thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk again next week. Thanks very much. Bye for now. As always, it has been a pleasure to share this information with you once again on the Brisbane Property Podcast. If you enjoy our content and if you think that there's value for your friends and family, please let them know about this episode and share the podcast with others. We do appreciate um, that word of mouth. Um, As always, if you would like to leave us a review, please do so on iTunes. That helps others to find our podcast and um, and helps this information um, spread throughout the community. Um, As always, hope you have a fabulous week and we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you so much. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.